0: Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on episode 58, The Fall of Israel. Previously on The Fan of History, Shalmaneser V, the son of Tiglath-Pileser III. Took over kingship of the Neo Assyrian Empire. Well, Dan, what are we going to talk about this week?
1: Well, first we're going to talk about the Patreon, Patreon.com/slash, fanohistory, because uh, we have some new patrons, and thank you very much. Uh, we did uh, ask for thirty bucks. An episode to uh, get past the destruction of Sennacherib in 701 BC and we are currently there. So now the goal is to get to um, past 601 BC and for that we need 100, I think, if I remember correctly. But I wanted to thank our patrons. Some of them want to stay anonymous, so they will be anonymous. Uh, When you sign up to Patreon, you uh, choose... Whether you, your name will be revealed or not. Uh, so I want to thank uh, Patricia, Hall, Frody, Rebecca, John, Kim, the Endless Knot, and Avery61. Hey, Avery. Thanks, guys.
0: Thank you very much. So, we really do appreciate it.
1: If you really like this show and want it to go past 601 BC, that's uh, that's a lot of episodes from now. <laughs> right. Please uh, consider contributing a dollar an episode on patreon.com slash
0: Okay, back to the story. Okay, Dan. Let's do this and talk about how did the fall of Israel happen?
1: Hmm. Yeah, the main character here is Shalmaneser V. He is the king of the Neo-Assyrian Empire and of Babylonia. That's a separate title, we discussed this before, but he inherited his father's claim to the throne of Babylonia as well. And we don't have any Assyrian depictions of him, which is a super bad sign, because the Assyrians put up stuff showing their king everywhere. Yeah. They like, um, the,
0: they like their stales, too.
1: <laughs> yes, so Shalmaneser V will not be long for this world, but he will manage to take down Israel before he leaves the scene. Uh, so the only illustrations we have of uh, Shalmaneser V are uh, from Israel, from the Old Testament, and from the, the Hebrews. Uh, his name as king of Babylonia is Ululayu. So he's King Ululayu mm-hmm. of Babylonia. And this is a a huge empire. It's bigger than the Neo-Assyrian Empire has ever been before. But Shalmaneser V will mess that up. It's, of course, his dad that made it so big. But before we go into Israel and, and the Assyrians, we need to talk a little more about Egypt. We spent a long episode talking about Egypt, but we have to mention one more guy, because we are at 725 BC, and something happens. In Egypt, it's Bakken Ranef. I'm probably butchering that name, but <laughs> you're used to me butchering Egyptian right. names at this point. <laughs> Bakenranef becomes the pharaoh of the 24th <laughs> dynasty. And the 24th dynasty is this small, sort of not real dynasty uh, in the north, in the delta, Right alongside the 22nd dynasty, next door. Uh, Ramef uh, is the son of Tefnacht, who was the villain in our story last mm-hmm. week. Uh, this probably means that Tefnacht died shortly after hiding on that island to get away from Pi. Uh, of course, years in Egypt, really uncertain. This guy, Bakan makes it to the histories of the ancient Greeks. He is known as Bokoris to the ancient Greeks. And this is exceptional. The ancient Greeks don't start writing things down yet. Uh, Not historical stuff. And I wanted to address why this guy shows up in their scrolls. Uh, So we have Bakan ruling the 24th dynasty from Sais in the western delta. We have an Apis Stele dating to year six of his reign. So we know he was at least the pharaoh of this dynasty for six years. Uh It is possible that he did not speak uh, uh, loudly of being the pharaoh. That he hid himself like just one of the great chiefs of the Libyans in the Delta. But this Stele leaves no doubts. There is the pharaoh. And Manetho, I've talked about Manetho a lot of times. He's a a Hellenistic guy much later that makes up this dynasty system. And he speaks of two events during the reign of Bakan This is the first reason Bakan is famous. Okay. These events are unlikely. (laughs) 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 Let's, let's, okay, yeah. Uh, The second one is, the first is that during the reign of Baccarat, if there's a lamb hanging around, and suddenly that lamb speaks out, uttering a prophecy that Egypt will be conquered by the Assyrians. And that's a bad sign when your animals start talking about (laughs) uh, you being conquered in the future. We will return to the second prophecy, and I think I'm going to give uh, my uh, joke up of calling the c- upcoming pharaoh Wookiee. Wookie,
0: Wookie but, yes,
1: yes. We'll uh, some more stuff about Bakinranef. Uh, Diodorus Siculus lists Bakinranef and one as one of the six most important lawgivers of ancient Egypt. According to Diodorus Siculus, then. Bakin Ranev was contemptible in appearance, but wiser than his predecessors. So he was really
0: ugly, but uh, clever. It's like, it, so that's what you pick. You're going to write this stuff in stone. <laughs> and that's the guy. He was a really ugly guy. I think Theodorus Siculus wrote on parchments. Oh, parchments, okay. Well, that's a little <laughs> that- better. <laughs> the, the take the time you were taking to carve out this dude was really ugly. Seriously, this dude that lived like uh, six <laughs> hundred years
1: ago, he was really ugly. Right. Uh, he made a law concerning contracts, which provade, provided for a way to discharge debts where no bond was signed, and uh, this law made it into uh, made it down to the Greeks. Then the Greeks were. Quite impressed by the Egyptians, but they had a really bad grasp of Egyptian history. But Bakkenranef makes it into the Greek scrolls. And this is amazing for a minor kinglet in the Delta. Uh, Robin Lane Fox wrote about Bakkenranef that uh, perhaps some Greeks unknown to us have close dealings with him. And we will see the Greeks coming into uh, the north of Egypt and have a lot of interactions with the Egyptians, but this is so early for that. So it's uh, it's strange. Uh, we also found a scarab of ranef uh, Do you know what a scarab is? Well, like the beetle or you, the uh, yeah. yeah, okay, yes. Uh, the pharaohs like to leave these beetles around with uh, their. Uh, pharaonic sign on it uh, we found one in Itchia in the Bay of Naples and during the time or back around in 725 BC there is a Greek colony we talked about that Greek colony Itchia in the Bay of Naples Mm -hmm. and here is a direct proof perhaps that the Greeks actually had dealings with this minor pharaoh Tacitus himself the famous Roman historian Talked about Ranef as well. And he was convinced that Ranef had something to do with the origin of the Jewish nation. Which is like what?
0: Yeah, how, how is that? How do those two come together?
1: Yeah, and why at this time when Israel is going down? So that makes zero sense, but Tacitus had the uh, poor sources to work with so. He's a good source for his age, but uh, right. this is 800 years before his time. And we also get a few Stele and uh, that's them proving that Bakanranath was indeed a pharaoh. Let's go a little north from him to Judah, where Ahaz is the king. And you will see Ahaz doing diplomatical good things here because he will survive the fall of Israel and the kingdom of Judah will survive. Uh, Ahaz himself was saved by Tiglath-Peleser III. The Assyrians saved him when his enemies were about to destroy his kingdom. Uh, He did go to Damascus to pay homage to Tiglath-Peleser III in 732 BC. Feels like a long time ago in this podcast, but it's just (laughs) seven
0: years Yes, several weeks ago.
1: (laughs) While in Damascus, seeing the power and might of the Assyrians, he took fancy to an altar and introduced a copy of this altar to the temple in Jerusalem.
0: Oh my gosh. Oh boy, what what calamities will befall this?
1: (laughs) So the Old Testament is not very happy with Ahaz. He is also vassal then of Assyria here. Uh, Judah is a typical vassal state of Assyria in 725 BC. Uh, The Old Testament tells a story about Ahaz where he sacrifices his son to Moloch, the pagan god. Uh, Not good.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you don't want to be sacrificing anything, let alone your own children, to a pagan god. (laughs)
1: The date of Ahaz's reign is contested, very contested, for an old king of Jerusalem. So he might even be dead in 725 BC. But I think he's there during the fall of Israel, and I think he is extremely pro-Assyrian Uh, So that's the way he will stay safe there. The strategic situation around Judah and Israel is that Aaron Damascus is gone. It's now an Assyrian province. Uh, The the kingdom has been eradicated pretty much. The Phoenicians to the northwest uh, in Lebanon, they are vassals of Assyria. Judah is a vassal of Assyria. The Philistines and the northern Arabs are also vassals of Assyria and more than half of Israel is an Assyrian province, because TP3 took that too. So we only have the rump of Israel remaining, ruled by Hoshia. And Hoshia gained this power while the Assyrians attacked. We talked about this in the 730s. TP3 came around, took half of Israel, and Hoshia was um, yeah, like, oh, I, I, I'm taking over here. I'm so pro-Assyrian too. Yay, You can be a vassal. But secretly, he was very unhappy with this. So he was looking around for allies to overthrow the Assyrians. And now is the time, right? Because TP3 is gone. And we have this unknown quantity, Shalmanister V. Maybe he can't project Assyrian power this far away. So Hoshea talked to the Egyptians, and he probably fell for the uh, tricks of Osircon IV. Right, also God the Fourth keeps claiming that he is the pharaoh of all of Egypt to anyone coming from the north. <laughs> because he can catch all the diplomats coming in. Right. Egypt. And he's like, There's nothing to see here. There right. are no <laughs> Nubians
0: here. <laughs> they see him first and he's the frontline guy.
1: Yes, and uh, I bet the Egypt is still uh, so glorious that he can claim that his tiny town is the capital. <laughs> <laughs> and keep all the information about the Nubians and Pi away from the northerners. Uh, so Hoshia talks to him, and Ostokon is like, I will help you against the Assyrians." He also finds King Luli of Tyre in Phoenicia. And Tyre is the biggest uh, Phoenician city, and Luli has already been rebellious against TP3 and survived it somehow. Uh, so... Um, it looks to Shea that he could perhaps uh, fight the Assyrians here and survive. And there is, of course, a reason for the IV to, to want this to happen. Because if he could keep the Assyrians out of the area, he would have a pretty good shot at getting all the money from the Arabo-Indian commerce. Uh, which is going through then the, the southern Mediterranean ports and the Egyptian ports in the Red Sea. And after Dan Hushia gets news about Shalmaneser V, uh, he decides that now is the time to act. Now is a good time to make Israel
0: free again,
1: and he stops paying his tribute to the Syrians.
0: Always a bad sign for a small country.
1: Yes. And Shalmanes V is uh, not busy doing anything else, which is also <laughs> a bad sign. So the Assyrian army makes some sort of movement in the direction of Israel. And in Kings, in 2 Kings seventeen 3, 4, we can read, The king of Assyria found conspiracy in Hosea because he sent messengers to So, the king of Egypt, and did not offer the tribute to the king of Assyria as in previous years. Okay, so, okay. so is probably Osircon the fourth then. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the Assyrian army starts marching against Israel, Hushia gets second thoughts and starts paying again. <laughs> but here we think that Osorkon the fourth is... Uh, egging him on, that he's influencing Osiris, saying, "I got your back, bro.
0: <laughs> you have the
1: do, we'll do this. I have <laughs> right. all of Egypt behind exactly. me. I can help you."
0: The mighty Egyptian army that won't leave Egypt.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> and you get the impression in the Old Testament that this so the Pharaoh of Egypt, so that probably also Conde Fourth, sounds extremely powerful, and it's. Kind of this must be a big scam from Osterkon because he's just yes, the kinglet of the 22nd dynasty But he makes a really big impression on the Hebrews And Luli of Tyre is also, yeah, Hoshia, go for it. We can all be free And in 725 BC then Hoshia decides that okay, I really should do this and he stops payment again Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today.
0: Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness.
1: Yeah, we'll see how that goes.
0: (laughs) I have a prediction.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There are two versions of this story. In uh, 2 Kings 17.4, it seems that Hushia is captured by the Assyrians very early and watches the entire war from Kala, from the Assyrian capital, being a prisoner. And there is a theory that Hushia didn't want to do this at all. Uh, because he was forced to do it Hmm. by people in Samaria, in the capital of Israel. So, in this story, he goes to Kala by himself with a couple of bodyguards. And the reason he does this is that he would be murdered in Samaria for being an Assyrian loyalist. And then his best bet is to actually go over to the Assyrians, make them attack Samaria, and then sort of try to get some good position in the new Assyrian world order. In the other version, Hosea remains in Samaria and leads the defense of Israel. And we don't have any mention of any other Israelites here, so there are no great generals or it's all Hosea. And if he is gone hiding in Kala from his own people, then there is no good leadership at all in Israel. Right. And in 725 BC, the royal Assyrian army appears in the area. And it goes straight for Tyre. So either Shalmaneser V uh, discovered that Luli, the king of Tyre, was involved in this. Maybe Hoshea told him. Uh, or Tyre did rise in rebellion simultaneously with Samaria. But the other Phoenician cities, they will have none of this. They pay immediately to Shalmaneser V and says, take that King Luli, we hate that guy. But Tyre is easy to defend. Luli has already uh, survived the siege from the Assyrians in Tyre. So he just sits down, starts, it, it can be supplied from the sea. The Assyrians are notoriously bad at doing stuff on the sea. So Lulia sits down again and is besieged, and is not very worried about it. And Shalmaneser V leaves the besieging force, and then he goes south into Israel. In the same year, Shalmaneser V comes to Samaria and begins besieging the capital of Israel. And now it's it's much easier for him than it was for Tippu Three because he has Assyrian provinces very close. The north of Israel is an Assyrian province, so supplying this besieging army is really easy compared to what it was for TP3. And uh, yeah, there is a big siege, but Hoshea he knows that Osorkon IV will arrive with the Egyptian war chariots and save him. So he's like, every morning he looks to the (laughs) south, but soon, soon Osorkon will come and save me. Right. And the Egyptian army is, like, much better than the Assyrian army, or so he says. But as we heard in the last episode, Osircon IV is heavily distracted by the Nubian invasion of Egypt. So he doesn't send any army to help
0: Samaria. I kind of saw that coming
1: and in the end then also come the ford's forces with their bronze weapons and their dated chariots they would just have been destroyed by uh, Shalmaneser V i think but we will soon have a real battle between Egyptians and Assyrians within this century hmm. and we'll we'll see how that goes on the, the fourth say, on the fourth
0: yeah sorry I was gonna say do the Egyptians end, end up learning how to make iron weapons
1: uh, at one time they do but even even maybe they already knew it but they have no iron oh well, that's a problem a, that's <laughs> the problem and who has the most iron that could sell it to them the Assyrians <laughs> they will not sell it or the Greeks and they will sell it but uh, not yet. So Osarkon the Force stays at home sending friendly letters to Pi. And uh, yeah, staying away from getting slaughtered by the Nubians or the Assyrians. And surviving everything. So we have two sieges. We have a siege of Tyre and a Siege of Samaria. But now we need to talk about sports!
0: Sports? You're cutting
1: sports. into sports. You're cutting into my war with sports? Yes, it's a sports report. It's 724 BC. We have news from the Olympics. Oh, my goodness. It's the 14th Olympiad. Oh, and there you go. We are adding an event to the Olympics. We're adding the Dioulos race. This We had a race of about 200 meters, a stadium race. Yep. Now we add a 400-meter double stadium race. And... Uh-huh. and the stadium is at this point usually a straight line. Okay. So uh, we race across the stadium and then we turn and race back. And there's a debate whether, as a runner, when you turn, you have to. Um, you had a turning post, you had to run around this. Right. And the debate concerns whether there was a turning post for each runner or if they had a common post, they all had to sort of run around and this has not been uh, resolved so that's the big question about the early olympics
0: it seemed like if you're all going for one it'd be fights and people tripping over each other because i'm assuming the first half of the race they're all you know there's gonna be a lot of people pretty close together
1: yeah i have a i don't really know how many runners there were i'm sure that information is out there somewhere right you know if it was like 10 i'm thinking like 10 too but that's probably
0: tainted by modern impressions probably but uh, yeah it just seems like i would hope they were smart enough to put one turn post per person <laughs> i just see this big mess of people at the end of the race if it's all if they're all trying to turn around one tiny little post but remember how boring these early Olympics are. They are like now there
1: are two events and they are over in two minutes. So you have this <laughs> this one day of events. You you'd like some entertainment, like people tripping. Oh, around. I see.
0: Yeah, like a, maybe a fist fight <laughs> breaks out at the, <laughs> at the end of the race. Yeah, and the guy who arrived last, he has to run past the fist fight and wins. <laughs> it's it's like a
1: Bugs Bunny cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah. Uh, We will, of course, return to Greece shortly because we have another epic Greek war coming up. In this very decade, we'll talk about the Lelantine War. So that's the sports for this time. We also need to talk about an invention that is credited to 725 BC. And it's an invention still in use today, all over the world. It's the postal system invented by the Assyrians.
0: I use my postal system almost every day.
1: Yeah, and this was, um, it is, um, the year is 725 BC, but I, this sounds like something Tiglath pileser III would do, so I am prepared to credit it to him. It's of course uh, a military thing. Oh, sure. To get military messages, and it sounds like a part of the military reforms we saw in the 740s. Um, the first credible claim for the development of a real postal system for like civilians and stuff comes from ancient Persia, but we know the Persians took most of their stuff from the Assyrians. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, there is uh, Xenophon, the Greek author he attributes the postal system to Cyrus the Great, king of Persia in 550 BC but we have letters, we have tons of letters from 725 or the 720s BC with the Assyrians, we know there is a postal system in Assyria Right. Uh, there are other sources that claim much earlier date for the Assyrian postal system that it could have been invented in the days of Ashurnasirpal II Uh, There's also credit given to Hammurabi. Hammurabi? And that's uh, (laughs) 1700 BC. Right, so that's
0: going way back.
1: But I think that's uh, because of Hammurabi's legal system. This guy probably invented a postal system as well. Oh, okay. Also, coming up very soon, a guy who will take over our entire show, Sargon II, the king of Assyria, he also claims that this was his idea. Uh, And he likes to talk about the year 722 BC, Uh, but at some point here, the postal system is invented. And it's, um, as well as being a, a postal system, it's, of course, an intelligence gathering apparatus. And the Assyrian spy system is quite well documented, even before 725 BC. Uh, The system was later called the Angaria, a term that in time came to indicate the tax system. But we've seen the Assyrians invent a lot of interesting stuff already, cavalry, aqueducts, etc. And here is the postal system. And they are not done inventing. We will now reach the, the golden age of the Assyrian Empire. And they will invent a ton of interesting stuff. And I will try to mention it all. But in 722 BC, then, we have this major event in world history, the fall of Israel, wow. and this is it. After this, Israel will be gone and will not return until the 20th century AD, yeah, after World War II. Yeah, so 2,600, 2,700 years, this memory of the nation of Israel lives on and returns in 1948. Wow. It takes Chalmaneser III three years to conquer Samaria. They besieged Samaria for three years. Mm -hmm. But in the end, Hosea can't hold the city. And uh, the whole event is very shrouded in mystery. And it's all because of Sargon II, the guy I mentioned, who is not the king of Assyria yet, but will very soon be, because he has destroyed a lot of Shalmaneser V's records. So Shalmaneser V remains a a very shadowy figure in Assyrian history, because Sargon II tried to erase him. And he, Sargon II will also claim that, wow, well, he didn't do this. I don't know who he was. I did it. I took Samaria. He's just going to no... straight up take
0: credit for it.
1: Yes. Awesome. He, he tries to pretend like he's the son of Tiglath Peles III and uh, there's nothing to see here. He has took over and kept going. So Sargon II claims the conquest of Samaria. But there is a hint in the Babylonian Chronicle that says that Shalmaneser ravaged the city of Shamra'in, which sounds very much like Samaria. There is a great painting of the fall of Samaria by Don Lawrence from 1964. You should Google that. And if we try to deduce what happened, then it's probably just a typical Assyrian siege. The Hoshia must have been pretty well prepared to survive an Assyrian siege
0: for three years. Three years is a long time to to hold out, especially when, you know, just getting supplies. That would have been a nightmare.
1: Yeah, Uh, and he could probably cut off the city entirely. It must have had wells and stuff to, to survive this long. Oh, We know how the Assyrians used to besiege people. We we did an episode about that, about early Neo-Assyrian Empire warfare. But we are no longer in the early Neo-Assyrian Empire. This is the late Neo-Assyrian Empire, and there will be inventions. We will see a full Neo-Assyrian siege uh, in the siege of Lachish that will come uh, right after the destruction of Sennacherib, so around 700 BC, we will take a look at the siege of Lachish, which is very well archaeologically documented. We can see what the Assyrians did to conquer the city, but they are much more successful at Lachish than they were at Samaria, but in the end, they win at Samaria, the rest of Israel uh, becomes an Assyrian province as well, but we'll talk about what happens to the to the inhabitants of Israel in the next episode, because we will then address one of the greatest mysteries in world history, the Lost Tribes of Israel. And in the next episode, we will find them. We will learn what happened to
0: the Lost Tribes of what? Israel.
1: Yes, it's no mystery anymore, because we will reveal it. Oh, in the my next
0: goodness. E- right here, folks.
1: You yes, will get they are the no longer lost. And the reason we speak about 10 lost tribes of Israel, then, is because two of the tribes are in Judah. And uh, they are Assyrian vassals, so they are safe. Hmm. And that's why they are not lost, but all the other 10 right. are lost. Remember, there are 12 tribes in Israel, then, the sons of Jacob, or Israel himself, as he's also known.
0: Okay, well, I guess that's it for yes. this episode. In our next episode, we will see what Shalmaneser V does to Israel after conquering Samaria. Alright folks, please go to YouTube. Search up Fan of History. Like and share our videos. Also, give us a review on iTunes or any of your favorite podcasting mediums. Um, and if there's one that we're not on, please give us uh, let us know. And we'll try to get on there as well. Uh, Facebook.com slash history. Also, the thefanofhistory.wordpress.com. Patreon.com slash history. If you like what we're doing and you want to hear us continue doing it, please consider supporting us. Want to follow Dan on Twitter and get all the updates for when the episodes go up? At Dan Horning. And if you want to follow me, I'm at Cerulean Says Hi. So... It looks like for this week, I am Brennan. And I'm Dom. And this has been The Fan of History. We are! If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash History. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time.